0: Zechariah chapter 3. I like to read the 10 verses here. I did have a PowerPoint this evening. We kind of walked through. Uh, We were a few verses into this scene and this vision of Zechariah, and uh, Zechariah records this fourth vision in this third chapter. And the scripture says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitra upon his head. So they set a fair mitra upon his head and clothed him with garments, And the angel of the Lord stood by, and the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. And in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall you call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. So that concludes the, the fourth vision that Zachariah sees on this night. Remember, he goes from one vision to the next, all seen in the same night. And these visions are giving him a picture of what is going to happen, what God is going to do with the future of Israel. And what God is going to do with the city of Jerusalem. And how he's going to use them. And uh, he uses some present figures within these visions... But they are going to picture in fact, he says here in um in verse uh, verse eight, if you see right in the middle, and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at if you have another translation, the word wondered at here would be a sign or a symbol, in other words, these are men are a symbol or a sign of of something that is going to happen in the future, so these visions are are foretelling for Joshua and, and uh, uh, Zerubbabel and all of those who are living in the present, they're giving them a vision of what is going to happen, what's going to take place. And they build upon another. These visions build one upon another. And the main issue with this vision is that God has chosen Israel. God has chosen his people, and he has not forgotten them. And he still has is, is got a plan and a purpose for them in the future. Now, it's interesting that what's going on right now on the news and what's going on in Israel today, the fact that they would be facing a war and there's so much hatred towards Israel, even all over the world, the anti-Semitism that is happening, the articles that I'm reading, it's just, is, um, just blows my mind that in a culture that wants to be political, politically correct and make sure everyone is... Um, is is equally treated and, and calling racism and all of this other stuff, and then we see um, that uh, now now people are supposed to quote unquote hide their um, Jewishness. Right, they're actually being told in some areas to to not reveal that they are uh, you know a Jew because it's dangerous for them. And then the the what's going on in New York and, and even in Germany and all over because of the the hatred of the Jews right now in Israel that is, um, that is heightened. These are God's chosen people. And in the book of Zechariah, more than any other Old Testament book, uh, the book of Zechariah reiterates over and over and over again that God is not finished with his people. They are his chosen people. How do they fit? How do they fit in the plan of God? And that is kind of what uh, Zechariah and the people of Israel are asking as well. God, you re- come back from Babylon, we're rebuilding the, the temple and uh, this little puny city of Jerusalem, we don't even have walls to protect us right now and uh, Nehemiah has not returned yet to rebuild the walls and they're looking around and saying, Lord, this, this small remnant, how in the world are you ever going to fulfill your prophecies with this group of people? And uh, Zechariah is saying, you be obedient to God, you follow God, and he's giving us a future that we know that we can rely upon. There is a king that is coming. He will rebuild the city. We will enjoy the promises of the Old Testament prophets and of Abraham and of David. And so in Zechariah, one vision after another, God is given to Zechariah to encourage the people to have hope in the promises of God. God has not forgotten his people. And I believe this is a message that we can see today that is still relevant relevant today. God has not forgotten his people. And no picture uh, shows that any more than what God is going to do with Israel and how he's going to rescue them and save them from their sin. And I believe this is still the future. And so this vision of what he's seeing here by Joshua standing before, and this is what is seen in this fourth vision, Joshua is standing as the high priest before the Lord, and he's clothed in filthy garments. He, he literally has garments filled with dung. I told you this a couple weeks ago. A, a terrible picture. And he's performing, he's in the process of performing his priestly duties with this stuff on him. Worshiping God with his hands and clothes dirty. And remember the high priest pictures and represents the whole people. And not only does this uh, see what is going on in the present, by how God feels about Israel at the moment, but also for the future from Zechariah's standpoint, way into the future, which would be even today, that Israel stands in its sin and blindness because it rejected the Savior. Put him on the cross. They stand in their sin. And before God can fulfill the promises of of rebuilding Jerusalem and and bringing the Messiah and and allowing them to have peace in the land, and remember one of the previous visions showed that that Israel will be a city, that it will be bursting at its seams. There will be no need for a wall because there's no enemies. In in fact, the nations of the world are going to actually come to Jerusalem and worship the Messiah right alongside the Israelites. This is a a time in the future that's going to take place. What we would see is the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ will rule and reign on the earth recorded for us in Revelation chapter 20. The problem is God does not bring his blessing until he first cleanses from sin. An atonement for sin must be made. His people must repent and turn to him. And so here's the picture of what God is going to do by bringing salvation to the nation of Israel. And I brought this up from the book of Romans. This is exactly what Paul is picking up in the book of Romans when he's walking through the, the nation of Israel. Has God um, forsaken his people? And Paul says, God forbid, he has not forsaken his people. But because of their blindness, he's, he's now um, moved his attention to a, to a different group of people. They've not become the new Israel, but now the church is his method and his means by which he's working in this economy. But God is going to rescue his people. We see this in this vision of, of Joshua. And standing next to Joshua is the devil who is at his right hand accusing him. Or remember we talked about he's sataning him. He's resisting him. He's, he's against him. He's his adversary. And that's exactly what the devil does. In fact, I had a quote that I underlined, and I, I, I like to just say again from Warren Rearsby: when Satan talks to us about God, he always lies. When Satan talks to us about God, he lies. That's what he did to Eve. And that's what he's been doing all along. He takes uh, who God is and he twists it and turns it. And, and he lies about God to us. And, and then we begin to doubt. Maybe God's word is not true. Maybe God is not true. But when he talks to God about us, he tells the truth. He tells the truth. He doesn't have to make anything up. Because we are filthy. We are broken. Our heart is uh, it is um, it filled with sin. We are crooked. We are broken. All the devil has to do is just basically tell God what's going on in our mind on a daily basis and how we, what, what makes us tick and what we want to do. That's exactly what's going on in Romans chapter 7 when the apostle Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Do you think the devil knows all about that? He just tells God about it. However, God's grace and mercy and his love is always there. So right there in the picture of of Joshua who's standing in filthy garments and the devil standing right next to him and and he's there accusing um, Joshua, saying, look at his filth, the Lord. You don't don't want to take anything from that. As he sees that um, picture of what's going on. And then we have this verse where in verse 2, the Lord rebukes. Satan, the Lord rebukes Satan. So the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee. O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem. And this is what I want to bring out. It's interesting here. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem. He reminds the devil there is a decision. I can throw away Israel and I can start over again with a new people. But God has brought back His people to the land has rescued them after 70 years of captivity, and now God is is saying, Satan, I've got promises to continue to fulfill. I've not forgotten my people. And so he's going to continue. He brings them back, and God goes out of his way and shows grace and mercy to his people again. Now, that doesn't end there. I mean, if you know history... That continues on, the nation of Israel continues on until you come to the time of Jesus Christ. And he comes over the Mount of Olives and He looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. And he cries out, he says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how long? When I've gathered you like ch- chickens uh, under the wings of a hen. But you would not. And they rejected. And so they went dispersed back into the Gentile nations for over 2,000 years until 1947 when they established their own nation again. No nation had ever been basically driven from their land, conquered, dispersed in over 2,000 years, and then to gather back together, reinstate as themselves a nation again. Still ethnically diverse, still ethnically um, unique, as Hebrews, with their own religion dispersed like that, going all the way back into the Old Testament at the time of the Egyptians. And here they are, these Jewish people. And God is showing that all throughout history, he's not forgotten his people. He still has a future. He still has a plan. They're dressed in dirty garments, and the devil is still mad and would love to destroy them, but God is not finished. If God is finished with the Jew then why has God's grace and mercy continued to be upon them even in their blindness and and rejection of the Messiah? It just shows that God still has a place, still has a tender spot. He still has promises. They are the apple of his eye. And just as we said in the previous chapter, when you mess with his people, you're messing with God, and God will take note of that. And so what's going to happen here is is, um, God is telling Zechariah he has chosen Jerusalem, and they are a brand plucked from the fire, just like a piece of wood that is hanging over to be destroyed. God has reached down in his mercy and his grace, and he's pulled them out. You say, well, pastor, when did this happen? Did it happen in the time of Zechariah? I don't believe it did. Did it happen in the time of Jesus' day? No, I don't believe it did. I believe the sacrifice and the payment for that was made. But that's why Paul said in the book of Romans that one day all Israel will be saved. One day it will take place. One day Israel will be plucked out of the fire and will be rescued and saved. And I believe that's what's going to happen during the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel talks about that time where his people will be, um, will be put in a pressure point like a fiery furnace. And then he will providentially and miraculously step in and rescue and save his people the nation of Israel. And that is what is happening. Interesting, in verse 4, if you'll look down in verse 4, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying... So, those who stood before him, uh, from what I've read in the commentaries, it kind of indicates that these would be the angels that were standing around. Obviously, uh, Joshua is standing before the throne of God. God's throne is there. Uh, the devil is there as well. We've got um, Zechariah who is seeing this. We have an interpretive angel that is standing next to Zachariah. as he's seeing this vision. And now, all of a sudden, God begins to give orders to those who are standing around Joshua. These seem to be angelic beings. And, and he says there, he says, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, "Behold, I have caused thy iniquity to pass from thee. I will clothe thee with a change of raiment." So, what the orders that's given by the angel of the Lord is to remove the filthy garments from Joshua, and then to replace unto him garments that are that are new, a, a new raiment. So he's changing his clothes here. You're going through the wash machine, right? washing the old pair putting on a new pair. For I have caused thine iniquity, notice he says, I've caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. Now I think that's an interesting phrase here, to pass from thee. It's a Hebrew verb, Ivar. Ivar is an interesting word. It is specifically tied and connected to the Jewish people like no other word. It appears for the first time it, it as a as a um, as a noun as a proper name in Genesis chapter eleven and verse fourteen Ivar Ivar is one of the sons of Abel and Enoch who eventually comes down to um, Noah and then eventually arrives to um, Abraham at the end of uh, Genesis chapter 11 and verse 14. Ebar, E-B-A-R is the name. It's the first time this word u- is used um, in the Bible. The second time it is used is in Genesis 14 and verse 13. It's again used as a, as a um, proper noun or a proper name. Turn over to Genesis chapter 14. You say, well, pastor, why did you, why did you stop on that little word? The little word that I stopped on was to pass over. Genesis chapter 14, in verse 13. This is the second time this word is used in the Bible. 14 and verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Ibarim, the Hebrew. The Hebrew. This word Hebrew means one who has passed over. One who has sojourned. So Abraham got the connection by Genesis chapter 14 as a man that's not from around here but he has sojourned, he has passed over and into. Where did he pass over from? Well, in chapter 12, two chapters before, he had came from the Ur of the Chaldees. God came to him and told him, Abram, I want you to leave your father at Haram, and I want you to go into a land that I promised you, and I will give you a promise, and and while you were there, I will make you a name, and I will bless you and bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you, and I'm going to make you a seed. So Abram gathers all of his people and his wife up and his his little nephew Lot, and they gather together and they head out. Chapter 13 and chapter 14. By chapter 14, when he enters into the land of Canaan, which doesn't belong to him, he shows up and they call him the Hebrew. The Hebrew. This term in the verb form also shows up all throughout as Abraham will pass over, will pass over, until eventually you come to Exodus chapter 12. The Jewish people have all been taken into uh, Egypt, and they are there into Egypt, and uh, you know the story after Joseph and the 400 years of captivity, and Moses has now come back, and you have nine plagues, and the tenth plague that shows up. And God gave strict orders for the Jewish people that on the ten, on the night that the death angel were come, they were to take the lamb and they were to put the lamb, the blood of the lamb on the post on the side and over the door. And when the death angel came, when he saw the blood, he would ebar, he would pass over the house because... There was an atonement already made to that home. And that is what is kept even to this day with the Jewish people as they celebrate the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When they came to uh, Canaan again after Josh, uh, Moses led them out of Egypt... And they came to the Red Sea. Do you remember what the Canaanites were afraid of these Hebrews that had passed over the Red Sea? They had to literally come through the Red Sea, pass over it on dry ground, and the Egyptians were buried underneath the water. And then the very first city that they came to was Jericho. You remember in Joshua chapter 1? And what did the people at Jericho were afraid of the Jewish people because of what they heard happened at the Red Sea. And the very first miracle that happens when Joshua takes the Jewish people from one side of the Jordan River, passed over to the other side of the Jordan River, he, God parted the river and they walked through on dry ground. So they had passed over the Red Sea, they had passed over the Jordan River, these Hebrews were carrying around with them all of this Passover stuff, carrying with them this group of people. Now, we come to the end of the, of the book of the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah, and we come to a specific place where now that reference to that Passover is coming around. But this time, this is what God is going to do, maybe more in connection to the 10th plague And with the Hebrew people, what God is going to do is he's going to see their filthy garments. And what he's going to do is he's going to cause the iniquity to pass away, to pass over them. And he is going to cleanse them. And he's going to uh, uh, forgive their iniquity and pass it from thee. So this, this word that follows these Jewish people, the very term Hebrew, brings to mind this constant... Reminder that they have their iniquity has been pardoned, and God is going to rescue them and save them because they are a people not deserving of God's love, but undeserving of God's love and grace. Notice what it says here at the end of this verse He says, I will close thee with a change of raiment. Now, what is happening here, and I give you a couple pictures if you want to do some extra study. In Exodus 28 and Leviticus 8, some strict instructions were given for the high priest in his garment. And so what kind of garment is going to be uh, addressed and talked about? In Exodus 28 and I read it earlier today as well again just to remind myself. There's a lot of details about it. I just gave you a picture a little bit of what Exodus 28 is showing the garb. Only the high priest wore this. So There was a hat. Um, It was kind of a, it looked like a chef hat, if you want to say it that way. It was kind of poofed. it had a a golden plate on the front of it. At the end of Exodus 28, it said upon that golden plate, I want you to engrave a name. And he said in the engraving of the name that is recorded in verse 36 of chapter 28 is holiness to the Lord or holy to the Lord. This is, this is set apart, this person. Then there's, um, there's the shoulder places that are uh, in indicated. There's the ephod, and then there's a girdle that goes around the waist. And then there's a breastplate. And in the breastplate, there are 12 stones that are listed. And each one of those 12 stones within them is engraven the name of the tribe of Israel. He is to have a blue robe. Blue comes up in chapter 28 on a regular basis. Blue. Gold is another color that is to be used. Not just color, but also a metal that is to be used over this... um, this material, purple, is also a color that is used. White inner robe. There's a white undergarment that is wear, worn from the, from the shoulder all the way down to the feet. Then there are bells and pomegranates that are, that are to be placed at the bottom of the hems of this robe that is to be worn. And this is the stately garment. This is the, the nicest piece of, of um, material and outfit that anyone in Israel is to wear, even over the king the high priest, is to wear this garment. So that's the type of garment that is going to be mentioned. This is the type of garment that is mentioned at the end of chapter 4. He says, I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. The the word that is used means a festival robe, a rich garment. So what seems to be is we have Joshua that is standing there in, in this white work outfit, Normally, the high, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would, work his, would, would have his normal work garment, would be a white linen uh, garment like this with a turban hat and, uh, and a sash around, and he would perform the sacrifices. On the Day of Atonement, he would make the sacrifices for the people in this white garment. And of course, you can imagine what the end of the day would look like with all the sacrifices that he made. It was no doubt stained with blood. When he came out of the Holy of Holies and made that that final sacrifice over the mercy seat, uh, Exodus chapter 28 says that he that he he will take off those work clothes and he will put on his festive robes, his high priestly rich garments, which are these, the ones on the right side. And he is to wear those in celebration at the end of the Day of Atonement, because the sins have been paid for. So he's got his work clothes, and then he's got his uh, party clothes. If you want to put it that way, I talked a few weeks ago about people that 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 are smarty pants. Okay, so so the message here today, if we want to just you know think of something, these these are happy pants. Okay. So what, what he's saying here in, chapter four, in verse 4 is, Joshua, take off those filthy garments and put on your happy pants. <laughs> you remember the 1970s? Some of you do. I don't. I just saw pictures. Okay. <laughs> you know, the, 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 there were a lot of weird pants in the 70s. Right? Right, we're going to look back and see some weird pants in the day too. In fact, some of the 70s pants are coming back in again. You know those giant balloon things at the bottom, you know, and the platform shoes and all that that was going on. Uh, you know, my, my dad had you know, one of those baby blue suits with those bell-bottom pant legs. You know, and just the colors that came out in uh, in, in the time of the of the '70s and and some of the hippies. You know, they they uh, all of those types of uh, designs and things like that that were going on. You know, that was that was the attempt to to be festive okay, and to be disco or whatever it was. I don't know what that was going on. I wasn't there. And um, But as I think about this passage here, when, when God comes to the nation of Israel and to Joshua and cleanses them from their sin, he tells them to put on a joyful garment, a garment of festive, a garment of of. of of a stately apparel, a garment ready for a party because their sins have been covered. And that is the spirit that comes into once a person has been forgiven of their sin and realizes that the penalty has been paid and God has washed their sins from the east to the west and to remember them no more. No longer do they hold a guilty stain over their life, but now they are forgiven and free. And this is why in the New Testament for believers who recognize the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been put onto their account, it, in these robes of righteousness that are put on for all believers, that we are to realize what a rejoicing and a joy and a spirit of rejoicing that we have as believers to know that our sins are washed away. And what a day of rejoicing and joy it will be when the nation of Israel, who has been filled with rejection of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, will in one day, at the end of this chapter, it's going to happen in one single day, will be washed of their sins. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when the nation of Israel gets up and runs to the the temple mount and bows before Jesus Christ and repents and accepts him as their Savior and their Messiah King? That's going to be a great revival, a day of rejoicing. And they're going to stand up and and be washed and cleansed from their sins. And and when Zechariah is seeing this vision, he can't help but the excitement that has happened. In fact, um, just to give you, I put this extra slide in here, the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, actually the steps of the Temple Institute is right next to the the Western Wall. You can actually see the Western Wall from, from the Temple Institute Museum. And the Temple Institute Museum is, is a museum. If you go to Israel next year and uh, if the war's over with, we'll go to Israel, you, we'll have an opportunity to go in there. It's just a small little, little facility. But inside that Temple Institute, the nation of Israel, the current nation of Israel, have, has been collecting and making articles for the new temple because they know it's going to be built. So they have made articles in this temple, and you can pay the tickets and go around and see the actual articles. There's a menorah that stands uh, probably eight feet tall that is in a glass case just outside the museum, or it was at one time just outside the museum that you can go and see, uh, made of pure gold. There's a video that shows how they made it, and, uh, and, and it was uh, set in that glass case. So here's a, here's a picture. They actually already have the priestly garments and the articles that they're going to set in the temple, they have them already made and displayed for you to be able to see. And they will use these garments. There's even some talk and some articles about some red heifers and some of those types of things that they already know uh, a, a little bit about and what's going on, and you can you read some more of that, and you can read it in this museum as well. And uh, all of this is shown exactly like you would have seen it in the Old Testament. Now, I say all of this because it's coming to the point where when, when Zechariah hears that, that the, the nation of Israel is going to be forgiven of their sins and washed clean and Joshua as the high priest is going to be cleansed and and allowed to to have new raiment and new garments. Look what he says in verse 5. He said and I said, this is Zechariah speaks up now. Right right before God. Here's the angel of the Lord and Joshua and the devil and he see him this vision and he just like he's just so excited, he interrupts the vision. And he says here, I said, let them also set a fair, and it's a headdress, or if, if you have another translation, it would be the word turban, upon his head. So they set a headdress, a high priestly hat, upon his head, and clothed him with these garments. Now, Interesting, as I was doing a little bit of study, this headdress is mentioned in Exodus 28 and Exodus chapter 8. The Hebrew word here is a turban. It was a piece of cloth that was wrapped around that looked kind of like a chef's hat, a little plume hat that would be like a beret that just kind of fits off to the side, and it had a golden plate on the front, and he would wear it specifically on the Day of Atonement. Um, Now, I found an article this week of Israel's military helmet, the Mitz Nefet. It started in about 1996 or so that the uh, Israeli military had been using these hats. The Mitz Nefet is actually the root word that would go back to a similar word that is found in Zechariah chapter 3. They call it the chef's hat. It's a military hat that is not a normal helmet. There's a helmet underneath, but it has more of a drape that looks down. They actually call it like a clown hat, and Israel is is one of the ones that the military uses this hat. Um, it it has a design more of looking like it could be used and and pulled around and made... Uh, more like a rock, it gives them more um, more protection from snipers, It'd be able to protect them uh, from the surrounding area. And uh, there's a whole video in YouTube uh, that shows unique about the Israeli army that has these hats that goes all the way specifically back. The mitz nefet goes back to the actual hat or the word that is used to the high priestly hat. And it has a similar look and feature and they, um, they, they use that. And that was just an interesting kind of fact that would come around that even the nation of Israel today is still finding connections into the Old Testament with a lot of things that they do and even how they look. But the picture here of Zechariah as he sees these garments being cleansed and notice at the end of verse 5, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now that's interesting that Zechariah would add that detail again. I mean, why? Why add that detail? Because I believe he's pointing out to us and to those around in the vision as well to saying, "Zachariah, don't forget the angel of the Lord has done this. And he's standing right there. You got the devil, he's standing over there. You got Joshua standing over there. You got the angels that are putting this garment on. But the one who is in charge, the one who is standing right next to the nation of Israel is the angel of the Lord. And then he says in verse 6, we'll move on very quickly here with the last minute or so that we have, the angel said, protested to Joshua, and he gives him a commandment. He says, you, if you will walk, if you will keep, then thou shalt judge. He gives the promises in verse 8, 8 and 9. Hear, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men who are wondered at, or signs, or symbols for. And then he says, behold, and he introduces another character. And I don't think this is a new character. I think this is the angel of the Lord with three new titles. What are the three new titles? He says, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone. So, the servant... The branch, the stone, three new titles that are used here. I just want to mention the branch that is used as a terminology. In Jeremiah 23 and verse 5, Warren Rearsby points this out. It's interesting. Four times in the Old Testament, the branch, the term branch is used in connection to the Messiah. The first time, or one of the times is Jeremiah 23 verse 5. He's called the branch of David who will be king and who will reign. The Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as the son of David who will be king and reign. This passage in Zechariah 3 and verse 8 says that the branch will be my servant. The Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant. In Zechariah chapter 6 in one of the other visions, verse 12 and 13... Uh, the word the branch title is used again, and we don't have time to look at it. We'll look at it at a different time. But it says in that verse, Behold the man whose name is the branch. The Gospel of Luke presents the Messiah as the man. And then in Isaiah 4 and verse 2, it calls the branch the branch of Jehovah or the branch of Yahweh. The Gospel of John. Presents Jesus the Messiah as God in flesh. So, of the four titles of the branch that are used in the Old Testament, there is a connection specifically to a different um, place or a different part of the Messiah Christ Himself. And then there's an engraving of the stone that is used in verse 9 and 10 that in this stone that has seven eyes, remember the word, the the number seven is the number often used in apocalyptic literature for perfection, and eyes always speak of knowledge or all-seeing. So when someone has seven eyes, that's going to come out in Daniel, it also comes out in Revelation, it comes out in Zechariah. It means it's someone who can see all things. That's that's just a term. And so within this stone, there is engraved a graving thereon, and we don't know what the engraving is on this stone. Uh, So the stone, who is a person, is going to be there, and on him is going to be engraven a name, and we don't know what the name is. Now, just as a reference, this picture shows up again in another apocalyptic literature in Revelation chapter 19. Can I just draw your attention to this as we close? In Revelation 19, Jesus will return on a white horse and John says this, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and righteousness he doth judge and make war and his eyes were as a flame of fire And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written engraven on him that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. I believe what Zechariah is seeing in that last few verses of that vision is a description of the high priest Jesus Christ with this stone as a stone with a name that we don't know what it is and is presented and here he is coming to rescue and save his people. And this gives hope to Zachariah and he's encouraged that one day salvation is coming to his people. Father, I pray as we close tonight, thank you for... Many of these visions that are confusing at first glance. Um, Lord, we, we don't have the Old Testament knowledge as the Jewish people did or we're not as up to, it, uh, up, up to date with it as, as maybe we should be. Thank you for the time that we can study some of these things and, and see that um, this is not as obscure as maybe what it uh, initially is when we first read it. And realize that the analogies and the connections that are found all throughout Scripture are very important. Thank you for the salvation that you give to us through Jesus Christ, your people, the church. And Lord, thank you that one day this nation of Israel that is seeing so much turmoil and hatred and death and war and suffering will one day be able to sit next to a neighbor under their own fig tree and vine tree and not have to worry about war and suffering. But it won't come until they bend the knee and break their hearts and accept Jesus as their Savior who can wash them from their sins. I pray that every Jewish person that we come in contact with, we will share this message from Zechariah with so they can know that they can accept Jesus Christ as their Savior today before it's too late. Bless us this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you. Thank you for staying tonight.